The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. We're going to be looking at Hebrews the next four weeks, and then we'll get back to 1 Peter, but we're going to look at the four one-another emphasis passages in Hebrews, and today we're going to start in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Let's give attention to God's Word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he poured, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray again. Father, this is your holy word. We thank you that it is living and active and it pierces soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of our heart and shows us where we're undone. Well, we thank you that we are not without hope for we can draw near. We thank you for for Jesus who has passed through the heavens and that we can find grace to help in our time of need. And Lord, I ask for help in being able to communicate the truths of this passage. Ask that it would be your words. Ask that you would give us hearts that want to hear, want to be changed. And we pray that, Lord, you would quicken us by your spirit to be doers of the word. We ask for your help in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're wondering why we're deviating from 1 Peter for a month, is that we were actually looking at, as the elders, looking at the uh, small group's vision of the church that we're wanting to roll out in the fall, and it's this PowerPoint document, and the elders, we were just going to have an elder or a small group training class alongside the Heidelberg Catechism, the elders really felt like the whole congregation needs to hear this emphasis, and that this is... Uh, something that is good for everybody, not just for small group leaders. And so we're going to kind of hit some of the highlights of that uh, PowerPoint presentation of things that are important about the body life of the church. Um, But our staff's been recently reading this book called The Trellis and the Vine, and the concept of the trellis and vine is pretty pretty straightforward and fleshed out in in the book. And it's this, you have a trellis and you have a vine, and if you have all trellis and no vine, then it would be like a church that has a really good org chart, really good organizational structure, lots of things and programs and everything's in place, but is there really life growth and are people really growing? That would be a church that's all trellis but not much vine. On the flip side, you have churches that are, lots of things are happening. Lots of people are growing, but there's not very good trellis 
of providing a structure so that the growth can happen naturally. And so the point of the trellis and the vine is to, to have some structure in place so that the vine can grow. Okay, so with that analogy in mind, the idea is we're trying to start, we're calling life groups in the fall, in September. And we're going to be putting some emphasis, some eggs into that basket because we see that as very important in the health of all of us. And we all need one another and we need uh, the body. And so uh, the idea here is that we're going to be sending out a survey in the next week or two gauging the congregation, finding out how many people want to be in the small groups, uh, life groups, how many people can be leaders, how many leaders are we going to need, what locations. There's a lot that's still going to be determined, but we hope to do some training in August for leaders and then putting people in groups. And we're wanting the groups to meet at least twice a month over this next season from September through May. Now, why do you think this is important? And It's important on just multiple levels, and you could say from proximates to ultimates, or from secondary things to primary things. And I would say just because something is a secondary or approximate doesn't mean it isn't important. It's just not ultimately important. And we're going to get to ultimates because there's a couple of ultimates that are laid out in verse 24 and 25 that are pretty clear. But first of all, on the proximate level, we're living in a crisis. We're in the middle of an epidemic. The epidemic is not COVID, but was exasperated by COVID. This epidemic creates problems for most of us, not all of us, but problems that are far worse than COVID and has long-term effects. This epidemic showed all the signs of trouble in the year 2000 when Robert Putnam wrote his famous book, Bowling Alone. But the Surgeon General in 2018 said that we had a crisis of a loneliness epidemic. And this is a recent quote from the New York Times, was an article talking about this loneliness epidemic. But, and this was a few months back, and it said, New York City, where one million people live alone, was for two years an experiment in loneliness. Nine million people siloed with smartphones and 24-7 home delivery, cut off from the places where they used to gather, Therapists booked up, even as tens of thousands of New Yorkers were grieving for a best friend, a spouse, a partner, or a parent. Loneliness is defined by mental health professionals as a gap. It's a gap between the level of connectedness that you want and what you have. And that's important because it is subjective. Some people don't, their, their gap isn't as big, and some people are content by themselves, but a lot of people are not. And you can be around a lot of people and still be lonely. So this epidemic of loneliness, as the Surgeon General wrote in 2018, is driven by the accelerated pace of life and the spread of technology into all of our social interactions. With this acceleration, he said, efficiency and convenience have edged out the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. I mean, it's gotten so bad now that you can go to a store and never talk to anybody and you leave and a thing is talking to you, telling you to scan your next item and and so on. And you leave without even seeing a talking to a real person. 
you end up having conversations more with Alexa and with Siri than with real people sometimes. Or hashtag so-and-so. Or you're, you're, you're like a screen that somebody just sees, you know, your name by. And then you have all these, you know, hundreds of friends. Many a man claims to have steadfast love, but a faithful friend who can find. That would be Proverbs 20. It's reality. And it's a public health crisis on the scale, as our U.S. Surgeon General said, on the scale of the opioid epidemic or obesity. The 2018 study by the Kaiser Family Foundation found one in five Americans said they were felt lonely or socially isolated. That was before the pandemic. The pandemic only exasperated these feelings. In a recent citywide survey by the New York uh, health department, 57% of the people said they felt lonely some or most of the time, and two-thirds said they felt socially isolated in the prior month. So being lonely, like other forms of stress, increases the risk of emotional disorders, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, less obviously as it puts people at greater risk of physical ailments that seem unrelated, like heart disease, cancer, stroke, hypertension, dementia, premature death. Here's, here's what's weird. In lab experiments, Lonely people who were exposed to a cold virus were more likely to develop symptoms than people who weren't lonely. We're connected. All these things are related. And then you have this Brigham Young University study where this person has cited that being lonely and, and, and suffering under the effects of loneliness is compared to smoking 15 cigarettes a day for your health. There's only 20 in a pack. So you're, you're smoking three-quarter a pack a day if you're, if you're struggling with loneliness. It's, it's not healthy. And so the general public is recognizing we have a loneliness problem, and it's causing lots of issues, much greater than COVID for most of us. Now, some can have long-term COVID effects, but thankfully COVID isn't, isn't having the power that it had initially, and most of us are healthy and get over it fairly quickly. But this, this is like people are now still reacting from COVID, and most churches are like this, where everybody's still, what's happened is, is, is the atrophy has is, is, is happened. We've not exercised the muscle of really connecting with people. And so if the culture has moved slowly to address this ap epidemic, and as the Surgeon General says, there are more adults struggling with health than loneliness than have diabetes. One of the purposes that we can see of life groups is that they do provide a trellis for relationships. It is proximate. We'll get to ultimates, but that's still pretty important. I mean, what was the command again and again this morning? Did anybody happen to miss it? Because we do have a retention problem. And our retention problem is within 24 hours, you will have forgotten more than 50% of what I've said, most likely 25%. And over a day from now, you'll be between 3 and 10%. And the 3% that you'll remember will be 3% different than the other people that remember something of the 3%. I mean, I thought my sermon was really important. But we have a retention problem. So we have to have repetitive emphasis what was John trying to communicate to us again and again and again this morning? You got to love one another. How can you love one another if you really don't see each other? This does not happen in a worship service. And it doesn't happen in your quiet time and in your daily walk. So where are you going to experience 
this idea of how am I going to love one another. There has to be some type of trellis. This is not the only trellis that exists. We're just trying to create a trellis. If you're in a group and you're plugged in and you're doing life on life and living life together, great. We want to encourage that. We don't want to remove you from a group, take you out of a group. If you're already in a group, great. But if you're not in a group, we really want you to see how important it is to be in a group. And if by all means possible, you can be in a group, it's really important. Because we've, we've been pretty groupless, a lot of us, for a long time. And I think we're all suffering kind of the malaise of the, the feelings of something, something ain't right. It shouldn't be like this. And so we have to create the context and the trellis for relationships to build. And it's an investment. I mean, nobody starts out with their portfolio and says, man, I just got this great portfolio. I've, I put a little money in it last year. You know, you've got to put money in it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. You keep investing, and over time, now this thing begins to accrue. That's how relationships work, is you have to start making the investment. I've got to start putting time in to this relationship and putting time into these people and seeing that this is important. Now for the ultimate reasons. I mean, the reality is, if you think about, you know, as I mentioned in an email a little while ago, when people do campus ministry on a college campus, they always talk about three things. A large group, a small group, and one-on-ones. It's pretty basic stuff, right? You need a large group context, you come together for worship, you come together, and there's a large group meeting, and... They're singing, and it's what we call the Sabbath, okay? We do it here, and we're able to do some things of the one another in commands. We're to sing to one another psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We, we wait for one another as we come to the table. There's certain one another's commands that we can live out in that large group context, but most of, the, most of them are not done here. And Hebrews 10.25 is always the classic verse that gets quoted for large group. And really, how much can you really encourage one another and spur one another on? And spurring one another on is this idea of sharp dispute. It's a spur. I mean, when you give a spur to a horse, and we all saw that amazing horse that won the Kentucky Derby that was like, got in the day before, and it was the most incredible story of incredible stories that this horse even made the race. He's in, you know, way back in the back of the pack. And lo and behold, by the end of the race, as the, as the jockey is just spurring him, he said, you know, when he was about a couple hundred yards out, he said, I, th- I, think, I think we're going to win this, you know. And he comes in the inside track and he wins the race. Everybody goes crazy. Well, there was a lot of spurring that was going on, right? A lot of whipping. This idea to consider one another. How do you consider one another? I mean, that's the command. We're called in Hebrews to consider Jesus, Hebrews 3.1, and we're called to consider one another. So how do we do both? And consider one another is you have to know them. You have to start to get to know people, start to know where their strengths are, what are their weaknesses. And as you get to know people, you begin to consider one another, and you begin to spur people on to loving good deeds. As we're getting to know each other as a staff, we're trying to 
do our staff meetings, kind of like a, a little bit of a small group of starting to share on a little deeper level. And, and I was sharing in staff meeting that I was like kind of just being honest about my dreading going to general assembly. I just said it feels like a middle school dance where everybody is like the really cool people, hang out with really cool people, and I'm not really cool enough to be in this group, and you're feeling excluded, and you know, you're just, all your insecurities come out. And I was just like, man, there's all these cliques. And one of the staff members, whose name, her name will not be mentioned, she just said, you know, that's from the devil, and you just need to shut that down. And it was like the most healthy thing for me to hear. I had the greatest time in General Assembly. I didn't see clicks. I didn't worry about people. I just went and loved people. And I had such a great time. But I needed somebody just to get in my face and say, yeah, that's from the devil. You just need to shut that down. I mean, it was healthy to hear that. That was spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Another time, one of the other staff members, one time I was kind of moving towards self-pity again, thought I had done this great deed and, you know, I was kind of misreading what was being said by one of the other staff members. And I was like, well, don't you see, I can do this, you know? And this other female staff member who remains to be na- uh, not named, this is the other female staff member, said, the best counseling question I've ever heard in my life. Are you sure you're hearing that correctly? I've shared that with a couple other pastors. They loved it. That, that is a great question. Are you sure you're hearing that correctly? Because you're sure reading into it the wrong way. And in that half of our problem is we read into things. And she just said, are you sure you're reading that correctly? That was what I needed to hear. Yes, I'm reading into this the total wrong way. So we need one another, right? And so what, what do you see the early church doing as far as like creating this trellis? so that they are able to grow together as the people of God in the ordinary means of grace. What are the ordinary means of grace? We make a big deal about that in Reformed circles. Okay, the ordinary means of grace is, how is God going to get his grace into your heart? And the answer is, he's not going to drop some note out of heaven. There's not going to be some sign and something's going to show up on your windshield or you're going to get an email from God himself that says, you know, subtitle, you know, Holy Spirit has word for you. Where does he show up? The ordinary means of grace, which is the Bible, hearing God's word, hearing it preached, praying, coming to the Lord's table, and God ministers his grace to us through the sacraments. But there's also these ordinary means of grace of fellowship, the ordinary means of grace of friendship. He who walks with the wise grows wise. That would be Proverbs 13, 20. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I had a friend tell me that who's still struggling with a drug addiction. And he said, I didn't listen. And he remembered that quote as a kid. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The apostles preached the word, and then all these people started coming to Jesus, right? Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, how would we read that? We'd read it like Matthew twenty two thirty seven. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. 
and we kind of like minimize the last part, right? I mean, because that's not real important. It's the teaching. That's all that matters. But if you have a retention problem, what do they say fixes the retention problem? Is actually turning around and teaching it and turning around and talking about it in discussion. Your retention rate goes to like 50%, down from the 25 to the 10 to the 3. So we need this, how do we get this retention? Is there's teaching, but then there's fellowship. There's the breaking of bread there, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Do you know what koinonia actually means? So it means fellowship. It actually means sharing. And it means sharing everything. It means financial sharing, sharing your life, sharing your home, sharing your food. That, that's really more the, the idea of what koinonia was. It was a sharing, but it was, it's everything. It's much more than just, okay, we're going to you know, have a fellowship meal together. It's life on life. So, as, and it's living out this idea that the Proverbs are getting at, better is open rebuke than faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the enemies uh, of kisses of an enemy. So we need these faithful friends that their wounds, can, we, can, we can trust them. People may say things that actually hurt and they're barbs, just as these staff members said some things that initially... You know, that you, could, you could easily like take offense and, you know, be upset. But we need this iron to sharpen iron so one man sharpens another, as the proverb says. That's not going to happen in your quiet time, and it's not going to happen in the worship service. So where is it going to happen is this idea of intentionally putting the investment of life together. And I know what most of you are thinking. You're totally on board with this because this is great in theory for everybody else. Small groups are great. Everybody loves them. I've never met anybody that doesn't love them. But when you actually got to commit to one, well, that's a different story because, you know, right now my, my family life is, is this or that. And we have some pretty big issues that come up. And I'll just mention one and, and take this as a barb out of love as your pastor. And, and if you have a child that is in this, this is difficult. But the children's sports have become such a, they just keep growing. And it's become like, like Fib from outer space. If you remember the Veggie Tale, he just kept growing, you know? Like, one of my children was wanting to play a club sport. And we just laid out for you, well, let's think about this, because here are our five priorities for your life. We, we to love God, we want you to be a part of the church, we want you to be a part of the youth group. And you didn't take vows when you joined this club team. Like, you don't take vows. We just took a vow this morning, these guys, to support the church to the best of their ability, you know, in, in its worship work to the best of our ability. And one of the elders once joked, parentheses, except for sports, you know, except that comes up because it's such a big issue. But what happens is often the step up like, at first, you're just in awe that your child's been asked to, to be a part of this league, and it's like, wow. But a step up is sometimes a step out. 
It's very hard to, because here's priority one to five is family, being able to spend time together, being in church together, being in youth group, committing to these things, and then your school. And then if the club team can be at priority five or six, fine with it. The problem is, is club team always wants to be top two or three. It has to be at the top. It now begins to, to take over. It starts to take on a life of its own. And so it begins harder and harder to, to juggle these things. And so I would just ask you as families to wrestle. Wrestle with these things because these are difficult things, but we're seeing more and more that it's taking people away from the body. And that's just hard to see. It's hard to, it's hard to do life. And so just ask you to wrestle with that. Um, I would also say that, um, you know, as we think about how to consider one another, as we get to know people, we want to be able to ask questions about people. And as we listen to people, what are their needs? You know, isn't it so much of our life that somebody has challenged us to something? I mean, you think about all these different great movies that you watch. And, you know, I was joking that, you know, I had watched a movie on small groups. A couple of people I shared this with, they didn't think it was very funny, but I was watching a movie on small groups. It was small group dynamics and how different groups, different people all offer something different in the group and how sometimes the whole group has to go and rescue somebody because sometimes people will leave the group. And I, I watched a movie on this. There's actually four of them. It's Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2, Story, Toy Story 3, and Toy Story 4. And it's all about small groups. It's all about small group dynamics. It's all about friendships between Woody and Buzz. And Forky, what's Forky's problem? I mean, Forky is just convinced that I'm trash. And Forky just relentlessly keeps going to the trash can. And Woody has to keep rescuing Forky out of the trash. And the whole movie is about showing Forky that Forky has a purpose. Isn't that kind of like what we do in the small groups? We're, we're trying to help each other say, you're not trash, you are a value. What do you think people's biggest fear is? Do you know what your people's biggest fear is? It's different than what you think. It's the fear that you won't be needed. It's the fear that you'll be discarded. And that's the last thing we want to communicate as a church, that, oh, you just come here and you're not really needed for anything else. No, God's given you gifts to share with the body, and that we have all these one another commands, and we were made finite. We were made really small, and our perspective on things is small, and we need other people and their gifts and their talents and their perspective, and we actually really need that. And so much of, you know, we see it in the culture. We love movies like Captain America and Shawshank Redemption and Lord of the Rings. Why do we love these movies? Because it's budding friendship. And there's usually there's key confrontation where there's a real spurring one another on to love and good deeds and a challenging. I just watched Bucket List this week and seeing Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman and it starts off funny, but there's some really serious moments and it's really about a friendship. And that talk in the plane where Jack Nicholson says, I envy people who have faith, I just can't get my head around it. Morgan Freeman said, maybe your head's in the way. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just spurring one another on, challenging other, getting, getting them to think. That's what we need. And here's the reality. Heresies don't happen like in a vacuum. 
They actually happen, though, because of a vacuum. Like, nobody, nobody here just all of a sudden decides, you know, I think Jesus' bones are still in the ground. Like, and they just, you know, start thinking that. They start thinking it when they start pulling away from the body. And they start getting away from the body life of the church. And the idea of neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some that Hebrews 10.25 talks about, it, the word neglecting is the same word that's used for Demas. When Demas departed the faith, Demas in love with this present world has deserted me or neglected to meet together. He just fell into the habit of it was easier to drift off. And so much of the book of Hebrews is a warning about not drifting away, not falling away. What is their problem? Their problem was they were tired. Isn't it our problem? Look at verse 35 in the text where he tells them, don't throw away your confidence. You have need of endurance. Isn't that what we all need? So that all the more, not all the less, as you see the day approaching, the day we're all going to stand before God, we need each other actually more and more now during the pandemic and after the pandemic than we needed each other before. And so the, 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 he's saying, all the more. Watch out for this habit of, of drifting away. And so may we be renewed in our love for one another. May we recognize that the Bible knows nothing, as John Wesley says, of solitary religion that we should be scared of like not being plugged into a smaller group because of our potential to drift away. And we see that the big emphasis of the scripture is that we are to love God and love our neighbor. And we have to build the context for that to actually happen. Let me stop there. And then as we come to the table, I'll give you this other word of encouragement in the text here. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd have mercy, that you'd wash us, forgive us for all the ways that we have pulled away, some healthy reasons and some unhealthy. And it seems it's gotten easier to not open up our homes, to hunker down, to watch more Netflix and scroll through our phones than to take the time to invest in relationships. Father, we ask that you would change us, Holy Spirit, as we see our, our deep need for each other. Help us to grow in these matters, and we do pray that these life groups would truly give life and health to the body of Christ. We ask in your name. Amen.